Salvation did not come without conflict and a price. And the adventure of holiness is not navigated without danger. There is danger in the Christian journey that one might stumble and fail as they communicate from one port to the next. But we are chartered by our Lord Christ Jesus to persevere and to keep a firm heading. The only way to avoid danger is to do nothing of value, to dig a pit and remain in it, to embrace the dark void and make it one's residence for eternity. So thank you for joining us and welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor and there's one other with me here in the studio. Pastor Anthony Alegria. And as we're beginning, Anthony, would you pray over us as we begin our message today? Yes, I would. <clears throat> Gracious Heavenly Father, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit that Dylan and I would be able to articulately uh, expound on the Word, to be able to bring the truth from your Scripture into a relevant moment in the present. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to do this, and we pray for those at home watching. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. And remember to check us out on SoundCloud, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, you can find us on YouTube and Facebook. We are struggling to get our YouTube channel off, so anything you can do to help that out would be fantastic. But anyways, let's get back to this. Jesus does not call us to just stay in the pits of life. Instead, Jesus calls us to something greater than the nihilistic void of nothingness, to something greater than a prison of our own desires. His gospel beckons us to return to God's holiness and providential design. The Christian is a vessel for holiness, and we function as the body of Christ representing the gospel to the world. This is a truth that should not be neglected if we wish to navigate life with Christ as our Lord. Each and every one of us, each and every one who has turned their heart over to Christ Jesus, the Christian person is a vessel for holiness, and that's something that we cannot underappreciate. Let's go now to the gospel according to St. Matthew, and we're going to read from Matthew 24, the first eight verses. And I'm going to ask Anthony if he would read us these verses. Again, this is Matthew 24, 1 through 8, for those who might like to follow along, and we'll be using the NRSV. Just one moment. I have lost my page here on accident. Yes, the fun of, of technology. Um which the fun of technology actually is fun. <laughs> All right. I have got my act together. Okay. <laughs> Matthew good. 24, 1 through 8. As Jesus came out of the temple and was going away, his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. Then he asked them, You see all these, don't you? Truly I tell you, not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will this be, and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Jesus answered them, Beware, that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and they will lead a, a many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All this, but the beginning of earth pangs, of birth pangs. All right. Jesus is stepping out of the temple, and he does this after days of spiritual warfare within its walls. Jesus had cast out the money changers and those who would defile God's designated place of holiness. 
Jesus had delivered beautiful sermons with many hearts and minds drawing near to him. While at the same time, the educated teachers of the law were despising every word out of Jesus' mouth. There were those who were held hostage by sin, suffering in all the agents of chaos that demand a dishonest ransom for their pitiful hostages. And Jesus cast out these agents of chaos, not on their own terms, but with the truth of God that pierces through all deception. After these sojourning days of spiritual warfare, Jesus quitted the temple to continue his holy journey. And in his exit, he made a departing declaration that every stone of the temple will be assuredly thrown down. The old era and its way of death is drawing to a close, for the temple has lost its way. And as we Christians contemplate this declaration about the old and new eras, we must understand that this is not an end to the covenant that God made with his people. Jesus does not declare the end of the temple in Jerusalem because God changed his mind or considers it a mistake. Rather, God is going to fulfill the purpose of the temple and bring that spiritual purpose into a new era. The temple had served as a physical structure where people could come and interact with the holiness of God. It was adorned with beautiful architecture that served as a visible reminder of God's covenant with his people. However, wherever people are involved, the predatory nature of sin is going to look for an opportune angle to give an advantage to its sinful ways. People, in their sin, had taken advantage of the temple and the Jewish people's righteous desire to know and approach God. The educated religious leaders acted as gatekeepers and controlled what access people had to God. And there were others who took financial advantage of those who wanted to be right with God. God's solution to this was to bring the spiritual purpose of the temple directly to people. No longer would there be a building, but every individual could know and approach God personally. People would no longer need to bring a blood sacrifice because God would provide that for them. People would no longer need to go through a gatekeeper because Jesus wanted to know them personally. And it would no longer matter what tribe one was born into because all sinners are in need of salvation from God. As the heavy stones of the temple fall, the heavy weight of its purpose would rest on the shoulders of all people. The temple is no longer in Jerusalem, but it rests on the shoulder of every one of us who confesses Christ as Lord. It rests on you just as it rests on me. What we find with the disciples is as they come to Jesus, they want to know when the temple will fall. For they understand that Jesus is teaching them of a new era, but they don't really understand how or when. Jesus' answer to them is to beware that no one leads you astray, for there will be many who come in my name. Jesus is giving the disciples responsibility, both personally and as an assembly, to ensure that they do not get led astray. Once the truth of Jesus and his way of life are revealed to people, they have the responsibility of accepting it and persevering with it, for many will try to pull them away from it. With the temple laid waste as a physical building, the weight of its stones now rests on the shoulders of believers. And Jesus had eradicated the necessity of gatekeepers and tribal limitations, and the only significant tribe that we will have moving forward will be the family of God. And its members are those who have accepted the gift of salvation from Jesus. And with this great weight comes great pressure. Christians cannot be saved or sanctified on account of decisions that other people make. We must be personally willing to accept Christ in our own hearts. The Jewish people had a great responsibility to maintain the holy and sacred nature of the temple. 
And we too have a great commission to maintain our bodies as temples of God. Moreover, we have a great commission to be stewards of Christ's gospel and minister to a world filled with need. And we must not underappreciate the weight that is placed on our shoulders to be a holy people. Now that the temple is gone, the responsibility is with us to be the holy and righteous indicator of God's holy nature. Our Lord has placed great trust in us, and we do well to respect the gift and responsibility that our Lord decided to give us. In this text, we find that language of wars and rumors of wars. And we tend to think of wars and rumors of wars as a temporal sign, one that we look for and we we wait for so that we might know when the new era begins. However, this passage describes them only as being the beginning of the birth pangs. In other words, these wars and rumors of wars are not the main event, nor are they complete enough to give us a definitive formula for Christ's return. Just as birth pangs are not the main event, but instead the unignorable sensations of pain that come with the birth of a child, the wars and rumors of wars are not the main event of Christ's return and reign. The wars and rumors of wars are the big production performance given in plain sight by the actors of fallen creation. They're like jagged objects protruding into our lives, causing us to stumble. These wars and rumors of wars, they can cause us to stumble if we're not careful. For if we do not guard ourselves, we might think their elaborate show is the main event. And as Christians, we must be well guarded against distractions. Waiting for a sign can be a distraction that causes us to stumble. Jesus assures his disciples that they do well not to be distracted or led astray. The responsibility granted to them by Jesus rests in their hearts, not in some temple that they can approach or retreat from whenever they deem convenient. Now, they have an inescapable responsibility to endure the adventure of holiness, the way of life. And with the great responsibility and the great opportunity for freedom from sin, there also comes a great responsibility to endure it to surrender to the command of Jesus as he navigates us past the treacherous snares that dwell beside the way of life. This text, it clearly tells us to be wary of danger. Be wary of those who come in my name and seek to lead you astray. That's what Jesus tells his disciples. Be wary of the gatekeepers and those who seek to take advantage of fallen creation. There's always a reason that people will lie and be sinful, because that's how the sin nature works. We are all born with an immovable sin problem in our lives, and we all are tempted to behave in unrighteous manners. But Jesus seeks to lift the weight of sin from around our necks so that we are not condemned to drown in the great void for eternity. Salvation did not come without conflict, and the adventure of holiness is not navigated without danger. The way of life, it is straight and narrow. And this straight and narrow path, its communications between the various wayports, they require fortification and vigor. There is always a great danger that one will fail as they communicate from one port to the next. But we are charted by our Lord Christ Jesus to persevere and keep a firm heading. The only way to avoid danger is to do nothing of importance, to dig a pit and remain in it, to embrace the dark void and remain there, just to make your residence there, to pitch a tent and say, I'm going to stay here for a while. But of course, although one may think they will stay there for a while, if they're not careful, they will remain there for eternity. But do not be deceived. The purpose of life is not to avoid suffering. Moreover, the suffering in this life, it comes as beggars, compelling us to sojourn with them. 
It comes as, as, as deceitful things, wanting us to sojourn in the pits of life and stay there. To neglect the profoundly subtle voice of God that beckons us to his kingdom. The adventure of holiness, the way of life, it is not without aim, and it doesn't call us to persevere for no reason at all. Christ's work on the cross was not in vain, and the power of the resurrection is not silent. Christ was sincere when he called us to be born again. Jesus' desire that we find freedom from our sins, it was legitimate, and it was pure. It was true. It wasn't a lie. It wasn't something that was just fancy speak. What we find is that Jesus wants us to be cleansed and to walk a new life. Jesus calls us to something greater than the nihilistic void of nothingness, to something greater than a prison of our own desires. The sin nature and all of the forces on this earth desire that we hesitate in our righteousness, that we flinch before sin, and that we bow down before the golden statues of this world. This beggarly invitation of sin is well articulated in the 11th chapter of the Gospel according to St. Matthew. When Jesus is contemplating the world around him and he says, But to what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace calling out to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We wailed and you would not mourn. And that's Matthew eleven sixteen and 17. Sin will put on a show for us, hoping that we will engage in the sinful dance. But Christ calls us to something greater. His gospel, it beckons us to return to God's holiness and providential design. The Christian is a vessel for holiness, and we function as the body of Christ, being a temple and beacon for the gospel in the world around us. This is a truth that should not be neglected if we wish to navigate life with Christ as our Lord. As we move through the waters of life, we must pay attention to how we represent our Lord to others. We are beacons of his gospel, just as the temple was a symbol of his covenant. Our actions must be indicative of Christ being Lord of our lives and not any other idol that would exert itself over us. And that is where we're going to end. Anthony, any final thoughts before we, we close in prayer? Um, only that I will say <clears throat> that I think this is a very good way to uh, look at how the temple is, in some sense, being replaced in the course of the history of the people of God. So there was a long time. There's different phases in the course of God's people, um, where they're going to worship and the types of symbolism that they use and things like that. And most people are aware that this is, of course, the second temple. Um, and so there's already been one before. It was Solomon's temple. This is uh, the second temple. And so <clears throat> for this temple to be destroyed, it actually is a pretty big deal. Uh, this is a long-standing tradition that was that they took the time to reconstruct it was resurrected itself um which is kind of funny because just like the old temple jesus was uh resurrected but in any case um i just mean to say that i feel like this is a really interesting way to read that scripture and it's consistent with a lot of paul's letters also whenever paul is talking about what it means to be the temple a lot of times we hear this and we think okay so all this is is a uh, re-establishment of a different priesthood, but it's a little more than that. It's also a call to responsibility to, you know, purify ourselves in the Holy Spirit. It's not something that we can do on our own. It's something that we do with the assistance of God, but we do have to open ourselves up to God's holy work. And as a temple of God, we should remember that. And again, as Dylan said, we're representatives of God to the world, just like the temple was. Amen. 
And speaking of being a representative of God, uh, for those who were watching while Anthony was speaking, I don't know how much you can see of the door that's behind him and the way our studio is set up, but where we have our podcast and everything is in an old building. We're located at Jolton Church of the Nazarene, which is a, a quite old building that's been added on to numerous times. And a lot of strange phenomenon happened here, a lot Wait of strange a phenomena. I thought that was somebody opening No, the door. no, the door opened behind <laughs> Anthony. No one else is, is here. Um, and again, the only spirit that we should concern ourselves with is the, the Holy Spirit of, of God. Um, I well, don't, <clears throat> and Dylan agrees with this. There are other, there are spirits, uh, and things, well, but yeah, the, there's I, only one that's powerful. Only one that we should be considerate of. Yes. And by that, when Anthony says there are other spirits, you know, Jesus talks about demons and unclean spirits. I don't think Jesus is lying to us when he talks about that. Um, yeah, and that, that was just a. I, I know that you think that, so I was just tossing that your way. But at the same time, I don't think they deserve the credit and the sort of supernatural conviction that people place on all that. The way people well, respond a lot to of that. people, it's almost counterintuitive. They start to place more faith in the you know the worldly spirits, yeah, the those who are uh, actually in the kingdom of Beelzebub and in Satan, yeah, rather than in the ultimate awesome Holy Spirit, which can overcome all of them. Well, there's a logical reason for that. And while we've gone on this bunny trail, um, I know even when I was a young Christian, uh, there was an element of me that said, you know, if I seen somebody possessed by a demon, I would know that that God is real. Because like, if you see some evidence of spiritual things, then suddenly, then then you know it all must be real. Um, Again, that was when I was young and not very wise in my theology. But there are a lot of people who make that assertion. Like if you could be, if you can actually see some, any evidence of spiritual activity in that show, then it reveals that it's all real. Um, Again, I don't think that's the necessarily wisest way about that. Again, don't give too much credit to the the devil. Um, I do believe the devil is real and the only thing he can do is tempt you. He, he can try to kill you, but he can't do anything which will condemn your soul. You as a individual have to be willing to give your soul to him. So building um, or evil spirit, Dylan, your take. Uh, I am, the door opening. <laughs> if it is an evil spirit, it is a bad – it does a bad job at being an evil spirit. Um, <laughs> um, I, I'm not taking it seriously as being an evil spirit. But at the same time, I'm not going to – Turn a blind eye to things which might be evil either. It's, it's so a weird place it, to get. If this one is of Beelzebub, it's one of his lowest lowbrow servants. It is very lowbrow. Um, and also really easy to deal with because I can just shut the door. Um, but there are much worse things than that. Like when you get family trouble, like that's also spiritual warfare. When, when, yeah, it is. When husbands and wives or brothers and sisters, whenever – or parents and children, that that is also spiritual warfare, and in my opinion, much worse. You know, if it's just a demon, you can cast it out and go on with life. The spiritual warfare that comes to break up relationships, to get between friends, family members, is is far worse than. Well, than when this temptation other starts to win, yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> a different matter because God respects humanity and the human soul, and He's not just going to come in and be like, you know, here's all that free will I gave you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, give that, me that back. You yeah, know? That, that's a, so a big part God of Christian has theology. Us, yeah. Since God has given us free will, it makes those situations actually, like Dylan said, a lot tougher spiritually. Yeah, because God did not choose to uncreate humanity. I mean, like that's the whole story. You go back to Noah. God, he looked at sin and how it had led to death. And instead of putting us down like you might put a pet down at the veterinary's office, God said, no, I'm going to redeem this. 
Um, which is the logic that you still, why we, we hold suicide to be a sin. You know, God's answer to suffering in the world isn't just, it's okay to end it. God's answer is when there's suffering in the world, you persevere through it. I chose to redeem you. All you little creatures were bad, but I chose to redeem you because I love you. And really the immediate and, solution for the universe was to end us. Yeah, the, the immediate logical solution would be to end it all. I mean, that, that would make the world a better place. I mean, it would have even, if you go back and read those early chapters there in Genesis, it would have made, you know, the whole weird thing with the sons of, of God and stuff like that. And that's what I'm referring to Defilum. with the story of Noah. Yeah, the story of Noah. It would have made a lot of things better, but God said, I redeem. I'm not going to uncreate them and take away the free will, but I'm going to redeem them. And so, therefore, suicide is, is clearly a sin. Um, and so are things like abortion. When people are like, yeah, there's there's reasons for it. Well, you're going to say that when a God who says there's no greater love than one who would die for die, his brother. Die for his brother. Like suddenly anything that you should always be willing to live down. I mean, God himself came and laid down his life for us. Like that's Christianity 101. You should be willing to do that for others, especially when it, the innocent are at stake. And what could be more innocent than a child? There's definitely a tendency to always pursue the acceptable and we don't realize that that that's falling into sort of legalism and not actually trying to remain faithful yeah look at this i I think we had a more interesting post-show conversation all because a door opened itself which those who watch on camera maybe you can see the doorknob um see what happened there somebody if you can see it i mean it's not on camera i'm I'm looking at it I, i was really hoping somebody could see that like we had video um, confirmation of whatever happened. Not that I really care that much, but anyways. Well, we've gone so long. I haven't. Re- have we closed in prayer yet? I don't think so. We have not. We have not. Okay. Well, let's close in prayer. Would you pray for us, Anthony? Yes, I will. <clears throat> Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that we can go out into the world as your individual and, in some sense, mobile uh, temples that we can go and represent your son, that we can be a place for your Holy Spirit to reside, that we can manifest the qualities of your kingdom and bring greater order to the world, greater love to the world, justice, peace. Uh, Lord, we pray that we would humble ourselves and allow ourselves to be transformed, that we can serve in that way. We thank you, Lord, for every opportunity you give us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. And with that, thank you for joining us. God love you, and have a blessed day.